The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning to you. This is Squawkbox. Shares in Microsoft popping after hours as revenue growth soars on a surging cloud services demand and guidance tops expectations. AstraZeneca defends its vaccine rollout plan, rejecting calls for UK vials to be sent to the EU. As the CEO of Vaccine Alliance, Gabby, tells CNBC global supplies will increase. The Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines were quite expensive, produced in relatively small quantities to start and had some um, issues in terms of their cold chain. So it's kind of this next generation which we are seeing and I think those will be flowing quickly. Unicredit is reportedly preparing to name Andrea Orsell as its new CEO in a move that would mark his return to Europe's banking stage after his jump from UBS to Santander fell through two years ago. The demand recovery across Asia supports sales for LVMH in the fourth quarter and prompts the French luxury giant to return its dividend to pre-pandemic levels despite net profit falling by a third during 2020. So, very good morning. We're going to start the, this morning just by focusing on uh, some of the market performance because we seem to be a little bit becalmed, don't we? If you looked at the trade yesterday, there was a huge amount going on in different sectors and different parts of the market. But when you look at what we did in terms of the major averages, it almost looks as though, well, it was a bit of a snooze fest, doesn't it? But we're going to dissect uh, some of the market moves yesterday and we'll talk a little bit about where that's sets us up as we run into the trading day ahead here because obviously it's a very big day in terms of watching the macroeconomic story from the FOMC announcements. But as we try to continue to figure out what the consequences of potential further lockdowns are at this stage and the IMF cautiously edges up its forecast on where global growth is going, technology still continues to provide a crutch for those who are looking for growth in a very difficult growth environment. So let's just uh, flip the wall and let's just have a look at the uh, technology breakdown here because obviously the NASDAQ overall was negative, but the messaging coming out of the technology stories is much more positive here. And as you look at this wall here of the key tech players, what you see is that continued search for outperformance amongst growth, particularly now. Do you remember Christine Lagarde in my panel at the World Economic Forum said we have growth delayed but not derailed. Well, it seems to have been delayed enough to get a pause for thought about those who are very keen to accelerate the rotation away from growth into cyclicals. Because if that recovery is delayed, maybe you'll be too early into that cyclical rotation. And while you still have good numbers coming out of some of these technology stocks, that's a good reason perhaps to hang around a little bit longer to see if you can pick up any more upside. And Microsoft was the the story for us in terms of the uh, tech numbers yesterday and in particular 
the uh, Microsoft story was about cloud services and the cloud services numbers are very encouraging. That is uh, a good snapshot of where we went in the after hours trade, as you can see, up 3.7% on that uh, strong upside in cloud services. Now, this story is incredible. And as I say, uh, we saw a lot of action yesterday. It just wasn't necessarily in the places that you'd traditionally be looking. A basket of the 11 most shorted stocks, particularly by hedge funds, were up 100%. The broader story looks a little bit like David and Goliath. You've got those masters of the universe, the hedge fund gurus who sit there in their control pods issuing instructions. We're going to short this company. The management's not doing a good job here. We're going to punish them by placing short side bets on their share price and on their business. The problem is we've now got tech disruption starting to impact the hedges. And what this means is that on this uh, site, Reddit, you've got groups of retail investors who appear to be buying into the same message that we stick it to their hedge funds by going the other side of their short trades. And that's turned around the prospects for a lot of the companies that were being targeted by the hedge fund groups. And GameStop is a very good example of that. To put it crudely, um, GameStop is effectively a, a, a sort of library of of, uh, of computer games. Uh, I mean, a shorthand way of describing it that I've seen used would be the blockbuster of video games, in a way. And in this day and age, there are a lot of people perhaps suggesting that a business like GameStop has no reason to exist, although we've had this whole working from home phenomena and people have gone back to gaming in a very big way here. The reason this chart looks so astonishing as we look to the right of the chart here is that GameStop has risen 1,860% over the last six months as people like Elon Musk have kind of fueled this mugging that is taking place of their hedge funds and others who are trying to short stocks like this. Now, what comes next remains to be seen here because a lot of regulators are looking at it and saying, well, is there a reason for us to get involved at this stage? Does this represent some kind of perversion or corruption of the natural trading activity of the market? But very difficult at this point for them to find a specific argument for something that has breached regulations. And as a consequence of this, I think we need to continue to watch this story and watch what is happening with these retail groups who are getting together, communicating on social welfare sites or social web uh, sites, and then coordinating attacks on hedge fund positions. And we've already seen um, in the billions a number of key hedge funds that have had to seek recapitalization and additional sources of liquidity as a consequence of this. So this is a very big story and it's not going to go away. And for those of uh, you out there who like a David and Goliath story and you like to poke the giants, this is one that you will enjoy as it gradually unfolds here.
Let's talk about the Asian markets. We've got a bit of data out of China. Again, the messaging around China seems to be that the recovery continues as the case count on infections continues to remain low. So let me just point out the industrial profits numbers were strong for December, up 20% growth on November. We'll get Sam to talk about that a little bit later on in the program from Singapore for us. But that has helped support these Asian indices here with the Nikkei 225 pushing on and the key uh, Asian uh, uh, greater China indices, Hong Kong and uh, and the Shanghai Composite, um, also doing okay in the session so far. So where does that leave us on the opening calls? Let's just mention the uh, outlook on the opening calls doesn't really give us much to work with, does it? At this point, let's see how these opening calls change. But I think as I've pointed out to you that uh, at the wall here, the action and the excitement has been in other places. It has not been in Europe. And as we monitor the tone of the comments and the noises from politicians and businesses here in Europe, I have to say there hasn't been too much to get very excited about, but we'll talk a little bit more about the comments from Monsieur Macron and what we've heard from Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, in the last 24 hours, a little bit later on in the programme. So let's just wrap up on the markets for the moment here, and let's talk a little bit more about the current infection rate and the death count here in Europe and elsewhere. Karen, very good morning to you. And Jeff, good morning to you. Yes, let's get into the detail around those infections as global coronavirus cases have topped 100 million with a 2.1% fatality rate. New variants have driven a surge in infections with a new case being logged every eight seconds so far this year. It took 11 months to hit 50 million cases, but just three months for that number to double. And now vaccine rollout delays are adding to concerns. German leaders are pressuring the European Commission for the power to block the export of vaccines made in the EU amid supply shortages and slow rollouts. The country's health minister and the bloc's trade commissioner insisted their aim is to better understand the outflow of vaccines from bloc rather than withholding jabs from the rest of the world. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has called on vaccine companies to deliver, expressing her displeasure with the Anglo-Swedish pharma giant. The European Union and others helped with money. Large sums were invested to build research capacities and production facilities early. Europe invested billions to help develop the world's first COVID-19 vaccines to create a truly global common good. And now the companies must deliver. They must honor their obligations. And this is why we will set up a vaccine export transparency mechanism. Europe is determined to contribute to this global common good, but it also means business. Ursula von der Leyen. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has called for greater cooperation between countries, telling the Davos agenda that working in isolation won't solve problems. Merkel also conceded the pandemic had exposed flaws in Germany, saying there needs to be greater urgency in the actions of the government. 
We all made mistakes in the beginning, reflexively retreated to ourselves first, but then learned that we are better off acting together. But what are the things we have seen in Germany? The speed of our actions leaves a lot to be desired. Processes have often become very bureaucratic and take a long time, so we have to work on that. The CEO of Vaccine Alliance, Gavi, says there are currently over 800 million vaccine doses that could be utilised in low-income countries. Seth Berkeley, who was speaking on a Davos Agenda panel moderated by Juliana, added there is renewed sense of urgency to distribute doses given the mutation of new variants. People didn't know which vaccines were going to work, if any of them were going to work, so they took multiple shots on goal, if you want to use that analogy. And, and today we estimate that that there are more than 800 million of doses that are firm order commitment that are above what would be required to vaccinate those population and another 1.4 billion doses in options. So um, we have, as part of COVAX, posted a, um, a, a principles for donation. What's important is if countries want to do that. And by the way, um, we would obviously appreciate them being donated, but we are also in a position to buy them or to take a spot in a manufacturing queue to make them available equitably. What's important is those that vaccines have, you know, full shelf life, have the ability to be used in different parts of the world, um, have been, uh, you know, going directly from the manufacturers. So they've been handled properly and the cold chain is maintained, et cetera, et cetera. So we're in the process of having that conversations with countries. Many, many countries were interested in doing it early for equitable reasons. I think now with, um, this concern on the new variants, um, um, you know, that John has talked about, there's been kind of a more of a sense of urgency of moving vaccines as quickly as possible. Let's get out to Juliana for more. Uh, Juliana, you moderated this panel for the Davos Agenda yesterday. We knew from the very beginning that there was some urgency around the rollout of vaccines because of the fallout on uh, health and also the economic downturn we've witnessed. But now there's been a new twist around variants and there's an urgency to try and avoid any more mutations. What were some of the takeaway messages from the panel yesterday? Well, that was certainly a key takeaway. That time is of the essence. And there is a little bit of panic now to get uh, hands on these doses and get the jabs into people's arms. Now, just there in that clip that you played, that was uh, Dr. Berkeley, the head of Gavi, talking about a very real possibility that we soon find ourselves in a situation where high-income economies, which have moved to secure doses early may actually end up with more doses than they need. And then comes the question of equitable distribution of these vaccines. And is there a mechanism or a plan in place to redistribute some of these vaccine doses to low and middle income countries around the world? And that is a very real possibility because we are looking now uh, forward to getting more crucial data on Johnson & Johnson and Novavax in the coming weeks. And that could really change the dynamic when it comes to vaccine supply in 2021. Now, part of this panel was also around the logistics of actually delivering the vaccines. And on that front, we spoke to the Deutsche Post CEO as well as the head of Lufthansa Cargo about where the bottlenecks are. And the message there is that the key bottleneck is in last mile delivery. And this largely comes down to local and regional governments. No bottlenecks when it comes to air freight. That was what the Lufthansa Cargo CEO had to say. Now, I asked the CEO of Gavi around the 
the level of commitment that currently exists between private and public sectors, given all of the public fallout we're watching unfold now when it comes to uh, who's to blame for the slow rollout of vaccines. Take a listen to what he had to say. People are focused on right now, when are we going to get our vaccines? But if you stand back for a moment, there are a whole range of new manufacturers in the next week or two. We expect to see two other major manufacturers unblind their clinical trials. Of course, we're very hopeful that they will um, uh, have positive results as well. The initial vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, were quite expensive, produced in relatively small quantities to start and had some um, issues in terms of their cold chain. So they were not the preferred doses to use globally. It's kind of this next generation, which we are seeing. And I think those will be flowing quickly. Now, Karen, to wrap up and coming back to your initial question around the threat of new variants and what's happening in the vaccine space. Well, we know that vaccine makers are already thinking about the possibility of needing a new round of vaccines, a potential booster shots to add on to the vaccines we already have. And on that front, uh, the uh, panel suggested that we are preparing for that possibility. And uh, the Deutsche Post CEO weighing in saying that should new vaccines come out to address new variants of the virus, the industry will be able to react quickly to distribute them. So it sounds like uh, the uh, learnings will benefit the uh, whole supply process moving forward, and hopefully the rollout will be smoother than it was at the start. Karen? Great to have some good news at this stage. Uh, Juliana, thank you very much for bringing us the highlights from the panel yesterday for the Davos Agenda. Well, for more on our coverage from this key event, the Davos Agenda, including why the EU is worried about the dark side of the digital world, you can head to our website, that is cnbc.com. And just to tell you what's coming up today, global leaders will once again take their turn to address the World Economic Forum today. South Korean President Moon Jae-in will deliver his address in less than an hour from now. Caretaker Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte will speak at 11 CET, while Russian President Vladimir Putin will address the forum at 12 CET. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will give his speech then later on today at 1500 CET. You can watch all of these highlights on CNBC International website and social media platforms. So another full agenda. It's almost as they were up the mountain uh, taking in that alpine air, Jeff. Yeah, except you're doing less panels and I'm not freezing in the in the snow. So there's a lot to like, I think, about doing Davos this way around. True. Um, and I, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that neither of us are going to make it on a plane to Singapore for later in the year. So it will be a very different type of Davos experience all the way around, Karen. Uh, anyway, we're going to have more on the Davos agenda later today. Uh, you may have noticed that Steve isn't here. Uh, he is moderating a panel on transforming food systems around the world. Uh, he'll be join, uh, joined by the likes of uh, uh, Rubberbank Chairman uh, Viva Draja, uh, PepsiCo CEO Ramon Lagata, and uh, Costa Rican President Carlos Alvarado uh, Casida, among others. You can catch that panel from 1715 CET on CNBC International TV, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. I'm looking forward to hearing a lot about vertical gardening, Steve, if you are listening. Coming up, we take a look at what will be on Jerome Powell's mind as the FOMC meets for the first time this year. We'll be back with more on that story in the recent direction of Treasury yields after this.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Stimulus vaccines and jobs expected to be the focal points to the Fed's January meeting. Policymakers are seeking to tide the American economy over until relief measures can take effect. The U.S. suffered its first monthly job losses since April in December as shutdowns and lockdowns continue to take their toll and a slower than expected vaccine rollout may only worsen the problem. This is 10-year Treasury yields made up their pandemic losses this month, moving back above 1%. That lift triggered concerns that mortgage rates could follow, pushing inflation higher. Although I get the impression that actually yields are just edging a little bit lower here because uh, the market's beginning to question whether this stimulus package is going to be delivered in the size that's been speculated about. Tim Drayson can help us out on this one. He's head of economics at LGIM. Tim, good morning to you. There's a little bit of pushback here for President Biden and the team over this 1.9 trillion package. Will it be delivered in this size, do you think, and how timely? I think there's a high probability the number gets pushed down. So the, the two routes to try and get this through Congress, one is a bipartisan approach. And um, to get the Senate Republicans on board, I think we're looking at a bigger, nearer one trillion. Now, we've already heard from the Democrats that patience is wearing thin. They don't get that support. They'll push for what's called reconciliation. There's this more complex procedural process. It will take more time, but then the number could get up back up towards that 1.9 trillion. Interesting. The market has has looked at this and said, oh, well, on our valuation models, then if we're going to see the 10 year Treasury yield drop a little bit, that probably means there's a bit more to go for here with equities. But but it's interesting that it's the tech and rather rather than the cyclicals that have picked up the pace here, Tim, do you think the market is is doing the maths around the delay on the, the reflation rebound? I think it's looking at the near-term weakness. So we did have extremely soft retail sales that decline in December payrolls. I think January is going to be still quite difficult, even with the 900 billion stimulus, which was passed towards the end of last year. It's only when the vaccines really get rolled out more widely. I don't think that happens till the kind of spring, early summer, that the economy is set to rebound. So we've still got a, a few more tough weeks ahead of us. Can I ask you about the first Fed meeting then uh, for the year today as what we have uh, in the backdrop, uh, more evidence that uh, the US economy has been losing steam, but then uh, hope still around this rebound later this year as a vaccine should take effect. What sort of line do you expect Jay Powell to talk about or, or to strike when it comes to this economic story for 2021? So there's a heavy consensus that the message won't change uh, this meeting. After all, the last meeting, they updated their forward guidance on asset purchases. There won't be any talk around tapering until we've seen that substantial progress, as I've just outlined. That's unlikely to appear until the summer at the earliest. I think later on in the year, then it becomes quite interesting 
if the economy does reopen and we see what potentially could be an extremely rapid rebound supported by huge amounts of cash uh, on deposit from the household sector, uh, the Fed may have to start to rethink its guidance later in the year. Just on the point around tapering, it's quite extraordinary as we talk about many of the challenges that lie ahead and what we're seeing economically, that some investors are very much focused on whether tapering signals start to start to happen this year. Give us a sense of what the Fed would need to see and for, for how many months to be confident that they could start talking about withdrawing stimulus. So obviously, this is the, the two uh, objectives here. So pick up in inflation. I think that's coming in the spring just through base effects. Um, but more importantly, the labour market. So uh, we need to see several million new jobs created between now and then before they would like to consider uh, the, the tapering approach. And with the unemployment rate coming down, you know, probably towards the 5% area, that would be, uh, on their measure, substantial progress and to begin the discussion around tapering. Tim, as we, as we look at the, um, the moves that we're seeing around uh, the fixed income market, five-year tips yields uh, fell. Um, we're now at the lowest on this tips yield since April 2014. What does that imply in terms of the market's view on inflationary pressure? So real yields are extraordinarily low, but this is something that the Fed would welcome. It's helping prevent, create easy financial conditions. Though we have seen that the break-even rates start to move higher over the last few months, and that's also a welcome development. So one of the key objectives from the Fed is to raise inflation expectations. They've been running below levels consistent with meeting their target in the medium to longer term. So if you read carefully their statement, this is something they're looking at extremely carefully not only do they want to see actual inflation up to 2%, but also they want to see the anchoring of inflation expectations around that 2% figure as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.